0: God is on the throne and let us give him praise. We may not all be assembled together for Sunday worship with the social distancing that is brought on by the COVID-19 coronavirus, but we nonetheless can gather together in worship, whether across the Internet or even in our own homes with just our family. The sermon that we're going to have today is going to be connected with the Jolton Church of the Nazarene Home Study Guide. And I thank you all for joining me, and we're going to have some bit more things going on here. There's some questions and discussions that are there within the study guide. I'm going to get to those towards the end of this, and we're going to have a great time together. So, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Pastor Jay Dillon Proctor. There's one other with me in the studio.
1: Pastor Anthony, Allegria,
0: And we are here in the Kingdom of the Lagos studio, and let's open up by saying the Lord's Prayer together, if we may. So, let us all pray the prayer that our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father Father, who art in heaven Well, in this study guide, we're going to be going through a few different things. If you are wanting to have worship in your home, I would recommend if you'd like to read the lectionary readings that are Psalm 23 and the full chapter of John 9, please do that. And if you're not familiar with the common lectionary, it's just something that is used throughout the the church universal across different denominations. It's basically just the weekly scripture readings that go throughout the Christian calendar and the different seasons of church life. We use them regularly here at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, and Psalms 23 and John chapter 9 are the respective Old and New Testament texts that we would normally be using if we were all assembled together. But let's continue on, shall we? We're going to get to a message today that is called the turning of the storm. And we're going to open up by reading through Jonah chapters 1 and 2. And I'm going to be using the NIV today. Normally I use the NRSV, but today we're going to be using the NIV. So if you'd like to follow along. And we're going to be looking at both chapters 1 and 2. And for these weeks leading up to Easter, we may spend some time in Jonah before we get to... Uh, Palm Sunday. But we're just going to spend some time looking at this and comparing some of the events that go on with this prophet who is called to do the work of the Lord and Jesus, who is priest, prophet, and king coming to bring us salvation. And there's a lot that we can learn in all of this. And it reminds us that even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of dark hours, God can come and make something beautiful out of your life. God has called us all to do his work there's a priesthood of all believers, and even if we're at home, we can do wonderful work with God. So let's get right into Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading just straight through the chapter. So I hope everyone is ready for two chapters of reading. It's not very long, but if you're here, I think you're, you're ready to hear some scripture. So let's get to it. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 reads as follows. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind upon the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors, they were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And in verse 6, the captain went to get him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to go and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And in verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And for this, they they were terrified. And they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? In verse 12, Jonah replied, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. In verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm, and at this The men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And now we find ourselves at Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, It is my distress. I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I have been banished from your sight, and I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now, one of the things that that we find about this... um, other than the fact that I skipped verse 17 in, in chapter 1, we're going to come back to that in a bit. Jonah has done something quite fascinating. As a prophet, he thought that he could run away from the Lord. And this is something that we do as a people. Every conceivable force, both from within the heart and from the world around us, it can tempt us to turn from the path of righteousness. These forces are attempting to pull us into a storm that is disguised as peace and easiness. However, Jesus teaches us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Because temptation, it is coming like a predatory animal, and we must be prepared to overcome it. The prophet Jonah thought that he could escape the jurisdiction of God by going to Tarshish. This was about 2,500 miles to the west of Joppa, Jonah's port of origin. In contrast, Nineveh was about 500 miles to the east of Joppa. Therefore, Jonah was going about 3,000 miles away from where God told him to go. But Jonah was not just going 3,000 miles in the wrong direction. Jonah was turning his life towards a storm. He believed the lie that if he fled from Israel, then he could escape the authority of God. And this is not an uncommon belief. There are many forces in our world that try to claim a higher authority than God. The government, money, And even the object of our heart's desire will all try to take priority in our lives and tempt us to structure our decisions around their design. The many things that come to our world to guide our moral compass, to guide what we emphasize, what we think about, what we we spend our time building our life towards, these things, they can pull us away from God if we are not careful. And sometimes it's the absence of these things when we feel that we don't have our finances in order, which again, God does want us to have our finances in order. But if we spend too much time worrying about an absence, that too can become an idol. If we have a missing desire in our life or something feels unfulfilled, that can come and overtake us. We can figure out how we can pursue something, whether it be sinful or righteous, and it all can turn sinful if we let it become an idol, even if it was a good cause to start with. God looks at us and says, I want you not to turn into the storm, but to turn towards me. Because unfortunately, the truth is this belief that you can run away from something that is difficult to find an easier path. A lot of times that takes us to a worse place. This belief, it was a lie that led Jonah away from the joy of doing God's work and into the belly of a whale. The notion of being in the belly of a whale is so profound that it's become an expression that we use all throughout society. It describes a moment of peril where one is trapped in the climax of calamity without any clear hope. Jonah ended up in such a moment precisely because he tried to run away from it. I want us to go back to chapter 1 and we're going to read verse 17. But before we do, I want us to contrast it with another verse. In verse 3, of, of Jonah chapter one, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So in that, Jonah thinks that his destination is the Lord, or excuse me, is away from the Lord in Tarshish. He thinks that's where he's going. But the Lord has provided something else. In Jonah chapter one, verse 17, it reads, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah thought that his destination was Tarshish, but in truth, his destination was the belly of the whale, the belly of the great fish, or if you've heard some of the other sermons I've preached on this topic, the belly of the Megas Ketas, this great and terrible monster. But this is not where God wants us to be. God doesn't want us to buy into this lie that is ultimately destructive. God wants us to be righteous people who rise above such calamities. And now I want us to turn our emphasis a little bit towards the New Testament. I want us to go now to the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed about drinking the cup that the Father had set before him. These were the moments before Jesus would be arrested There were the moments before he would go to the cross and the moments before he would die, where he spent three days there in death. What we see happening is Jesus went to a place where there also seemed as if there was no hope. There in verse 17, where Jonah gets swallowed up, it appears as if there is no hope there. But nonetheless, there is hope. God is able to make something beautiful out of things which we consider quite terrible and awful. And when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus praying about drinking the cup that the Father has set before him. These prayers, they show how Jesus contemplated the choice of enduring the cup that God had placed before him or simply pushing it away. This is the same choice that Jonah contemplated. He could have gone straight to Nineveh or he could have fled to Tarshish. The Garden of Gethsemane is a similar moment where Jesus is contemplating these things. However, where Jonah failed, Jesus was righteous and faithful in all things. And he recognized that the only way the cup was moved was if he drank it. And I want us to go now to the gospel according to St. Matthew, and we're going to read chapter 26, verses 47 through 54. And they read as follows. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs. And they were sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer, had arranged a signal for them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put back your sword. In its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? If we're comparing the book of Jonah to the time frame in the gospel that moves from Gethsemane to the cross, where we Look at the the prayers, the contemplations of Jesus, we might ask the question of where are we going to find the storm? Where do we find that similarity with the storm that Jonah had there on the sea when he ran from God? But the truth is, there is no storm. One might look at the arrest of Jesus where he would suffer unjustly at the hands of sinners and say this is the storm, but no, it is not. The storm is not found in the gospel because there is no such storm of unfaithfulness in the gospel. Jesus was willing to be faithful to the will of the Father. The storm that would have been found had Jesus refused to drink the cup and provide a salvation would have just been the continuing of the way of death. Just as the storm brought by Jonah's unfaithfulness inflicted his fellow savior, uh, his fellow sailors with deadly peril, if Jesus would have refused to go to the cross, then he would have left all of mankind in a state of condemnation by their own sins. Jesus clearly had the opportunity to call on legions of angels to join with him in stopping his arrest. However, this was not the purpose for which he came. Rather, he came to suffer and endure the work of the cross. And Jesus shows us that the righteous path that turns out of the storm, it can be just as painful as the one that turns into the storm. In fact, it might be more painful for us as individuals to endure the cost of righteousness. The cost of discipleship, the cost of the way of life, it is not easy. But the purpose of life is not to avoid suffering. Jesus is motivated by the will of the Father, a pathway that requires great endurance. And since the fall of creation, suffering is something that abounds in life. And we will stumble if we allow fear to make our decisions. If one falls for the lie of Jonah, that running to Tarshish and away from God's plan will be easy, they will find great suffering for themselves and for others. If one follows the path of God, they're still very likely to endure some sort of suffering. But this time, they're going to have the righteous joy of God on their side, even if this suffering takes them all the way to the point of death. Suffering is going to be found in fallen creation, and it's best that we endure it with the leadership of God in our lives, where we can find joy and the peace unspeakable that God has for us. God still used Jonah, despite the prophet's efforts to run away. God chose to redeem Jonah's ministry, just as God chose to redeem all of our humanity and every member of our race where we want to do sinful things. God chose to redeem us and provide for us a great gift of salvation where we can be regenerated into new creatures liberated from our sins. And even when events occur in the world that are against God's design, God is willing to work with his people to turn the tides of the storm to make something righteous. And as we endure the uncertain times of the COVID-19 coronavirus, let us turn our hearts to God and look to do the work of God to bring righteousness into our world. Our culture is in great need for revival. And we as Christians, we have a great opportunity to witness to a world looking for explanations. As we close, let us pray to God for blessing and conviction in these unsure times that he will turn the storm of uncertainty into something beautiful. All right, and so this is where our online message is going to deviate a little bit from what you have in the home study guide. And even if you're just listening to this, or perhaps you would like the home study guide and you're listening to this, please reach out to me, give me a comment or something, and I'll send it to you. Um, but here we have some discussions that I want us to talk about. And I'm going to walk through these and give some of my own answers to this. And Anthony's welcome to chime in if you would like. But the first discussion question we have in our packet is the question of, Jesus had the opportunity to call on angels and to avoid suffering and death at the hand of sinners. But would he have lessened his pain by avoiding the cross? And I actually may give Anthony the opportunity to respond to this first if he would like to. And this is simply the question of, would Jesus' pain been less had he avoided the cross?
1: Well, I suppose there's the pain that he endured by um, watching his creation suffer. And so, uh, by taking on the cross, that pain may have been alleviated, but I do think that uh, the cross was a real true selfless sacrifice of God, not something that he did for himself. And so I would say, yes, that he would have lessened his pain by avoiding the cross, but that was pain which was sacrificed so that we could have salvation.
0: All right. So my thoughts on this is I don't think it would have lessened his pain, but I also don't think he was motivated by the pain and suffering, or at least not of himself. God was motivated by his love for his creatures. And God, after watching from our most ancient ancestors up till those walking on the earth with Jesus and those that are here today, God is pained when he sees death afflicting his creation. And for a long time, all throughout scripture, God has been wanting to call people out of their sin and into righteousness. God wants to give people a way for living as he designed them to live. So let's go on to question number two. How did God use Jonah to do the prophetic work of bringing people to know God in Jonah chapter one? One of the things which is fascinating is if we look to the text, Jonah is supposed to be going to Nineveh to call people. To make vows to God, but yet the sailors there in chapter 1, they are making vows with God. It's quite fascinating. Jonah is doing the prophetic work of sending a message to people who, in the midst of a great calamity, they turn to God and make vows. It's fascinating. Despite Jonah's own ugliness and his own nastiness towards his own profession, he is still being successful. But he's not being successful out of luck or out of really anything by his own will. It's the fact that God is able to make something beautiful out of spite for Jonah's, um, well, spitefulness. God is willing to make something beautiful because God is not concerned with petty things like spite or emotions of that nature, but he is concerned with the path of righteousness and interacting with his creation. Discussion question number three. God takes ugly situations and turns them into something beautiful. Can we find anything beautiful in Jonah chapter two when the prophet is in the belly of the whale? When we go and we read Jonah chapter 2, we find that from inside the fish, Jonah is praying and he makes great transformations. Um, Jonah, he has a very big transformation in his heart. God is clearly convicting him and good things are happening. He is returning back to God. And throughout chapter 2, we have a very different structure than chapter 1. We find that Jonah is actually doing something which is a bit poetic. He's basically giving a prayer, singing a song to God saying, look, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters have threatened me and the deep waters surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down to the earth beneath. But you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Fascinating, Jonah says this while still in the pit. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you to your holy temple. And ultimately, Jonah reaches the pinnacle of this moment by saying salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah's heart is transformed in the midst of this, and that's a beautiful thing. The fourth discussion question I want us to think about is, we have moments in life when we are stuck in the belly of the whale. But what does God want us to focus on when we are in these moments? Anthony? I
1: I think in general... God wants us to do more than focus. But if we're going to focus on what we should be focused on, then I would say um we should definitely be focused on his goodness. I think that's kind of where you see Jonah turning and that focus on his goodness brings out a lot of the other things which God wants. God wants us to love him, to be faithful to him, uh to praise him, and even within the belly of the whale, um in truth, Jonah is sort of spreading good news. He's preaching in it, saying that salvation comes from the Lord. So um, I would say focus on God's goodness.
0: Yeah, one of the things which is, is fascinating, we are in a belly of the will moment as a society, and a lot of people are there individually as well. And again, people are going to care a lot more where there's families at than than perhaps things that are super distant away from them. That's going to be their immediate temptation to think about. But we as individuals, we have to realize that whether we are here because of the coronavirus, maybe we've lost our job or something beforehand, whatever it may be, we're in a moment where we're really limited in the things that we can do and the things that we can have certainty in. So this is a time where we need to look towards God and be reminded that God wants us to still be doing his work. This is actually a great opportunity for the church to grow. This could be our finest hour as we find new ways to reach people, and to give serious answers to questions. For a long time, I've said one of the reasons the, our culture has gotten where it is is the church has chose to be politically correct rather than being serious about a lot of issues that we have in our world. We need to actually give strong answers. The purpose of, of life is not to avoid suffering, and people do not just come to church to avoid suffering. In fact, many of our early Christians came to the church in order to take on more suffering. Not, again, because of that, but it's just something that happened. We find that God wants us to live righteous lives. He actually wants to transform us, and all of us are in need of that transformation. So in this moment, I want us to be thinking about how we can contribute to the work of the gospel, how we can get our lives right with God, and how we can be looking to be that priesthood of all believers. And with that, that's where we're going to wrap up our study this morning. I hope everyone's had a good time. If anyone has any thoughts, questions, or comments about anything at all, they would like to reach out to me, please do. So let's close in prayer as we draw to the end of our message. Anthony, would you pray for us as we close?
1: Yes. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, sending your Holy Spirit on us. We thank you for the opportunity to serve in your kingdom. Lord, we pray that we will continue to serve you and to love you and to remain faithful to you. We pray, Lord, that we would open ourselves up to be vessels for you. In Jesus' name I pray.
0: Amen. Amen. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.